Welcome to the Leverage Your Potential podcast. This podcast is hosted by the director and assistant director of Menlo College's Office of Internships, Career Services, and Study Abroad, Dylan Hull and Kelly Davis, in partnership with Menlo's Content Creation Club. Hello and welcome to the Leverage Your Potential podcast. My name is Kelly Davis. I'm the assistant director of career services, internships, and study abroad, and I am your host today. And I'm here with one of Menlo's faculty, Dr. Sean Pradhan, who is currently serving as the director of the sports management program and teaches both sports management and data analytics. Additionally, he works at the San Jose State University Research Foundation at NASA. Uh, Sean grew up in the Bay Area and attended school here until he earned his PhD in sport management at the University of Michigan, but he wasn't gone for too long before he returned to conduct his research with San Jose State and eventually teaching at Menlo College. So Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I want to go ahead and hand it off to you to tell, to tell us a little bit about yourself, where in the Bay Area you're from, what were some things you knew about yourself and didn't know about yourself before going to college? What role did sports play in your childhood, et cetera? <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate that. So, yeah, I, I, like Kelly, like you mentioned, I was born and raised uh, around the peninsula, uh, specifically in the Burlingame, San Mateo area. And yeah, I went to school throughout the Bay with some brief hiatuses here and there, but ultimately I completed most of my education locally. Uh, before college, I guess I knew I was relentless when it came to trying to achieve a goal, and that definitely carried over into college, and you know, it car- carried me throughout my education, and even now, right? Any goal I have, I I will do my best to achieve it, and I won't stop till I achieve it, which I guess is a good feature. Sometimes it's bad because I don't know my limits on when I should stop working, so I always feel like I'm in work mode, but. Sometimes it's good when you need to get things done. Uh, I guess before college, something I didn't know, I mean, as you can imagine, and, and as any student, you know, might say for themselves, you know, what was, what exactly I wanted to study for my degree. So, you know, I, I came into college with this original plan to, to eventually go to medical school and study either neurology or cardiology, but I wasn't 100% sure of what I wanted my future to hold for me. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into my path later on though. Uh, But as for sports, I mean, they're really a huge passion of mine as a kid. I grew up playing a lot of different sports like soccer, basketball, baseball. I also ran track. And I was definitely that, that one kid who was always looking up the stats for all their favorite players and favorite teams. And I remember trying to, compare my friends and even my own favorite teams and players with using all those different stats I'd, I'd look up and I guess uh, looking back you know it was kind of a foreshadowing into what I would be doing now. Yeah definitely I'd say pretty directly which we'll get into later but I'm curious to learn more about your your path in terms of deciding on what your what you eventually studied in undergrad and then also graduate school um, but I think that'll really resonate with students because you actually got your bachelor's degree in psychology, which is right. yep. 10% of our students. Um, but in addition, we'll talk about later kind of your, your shift uh, into something just a little bit different. So your bachelor's was in psychology and your master's was in experimental psychology 
specifically, which also kind of begs the question of were you what what were what was your end goal at that time? Um, it, it wasn't going to be med school anymore. Uh, so what what kind of shifted yeah. direction? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I mentioned, I, I really wanted to go to medical school. Even when I entered graduate school to get my master's, that was that was a plan. But you know, backtracking a bit and looking at my undergrad, you know, originally I wanted to take the pre-med route, but after I took my first psychology class and, you know, learned about different concepts in psychology, especially what stuck with me was classical and operant conditioning, which is a, a concepts in behavioral psychology. And I think I was hooked after learning about uh, Pavlov's classic study on dogs and, and appetite. So you I, I need to I elaborate wanted... a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So uh, Pavlov was a psychologist who basically conditioned dogs to respond to a previously neutral stimuli, like a whistle, whistle or a buzzer. And they would start to salivate, not only after introducing the food, but then by blowing the whistle or uh, hitting a buzzer or something like that. So that, that idea of like training a dog and breaking it down psychologically really stuck with me since I also grew up with dogs all my life. So I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool to apply that concept to even not just dogs, but human behavior. So I think that really invigorated the passion for psychology. So I thought to myself at the moment, yeah, yeah, I, I could probably get a psychology degree and still complete all the requirements for medical school. So I kind of shifted my, my path from pre-med to psychology. So then uh, as I progressed uh, through my bachelor's degree, I, I got a chance to take my first research methods course and I instantly just enjoyed it so much. And I, I really liked the idea of being able to ask and then answer a question using some sort of data, whether it's quantitative, so using numeric uh, forms of data or even qualitative, you know, categories, more word-based forms. And I especially enjoyed doing all the, you know, the statistical analyses for class projects when it came to that research methods course. So that, that kind of set me on a path to want to then pursue research on the medical side, actually. So when I was thinking about my next step, uh, I thought getting a research degree would actually really help uh, my chances of getting into medical school and then pursuing the path I wanted. And then I started to integrate my passion for sports with medicine. And after I graduated from my bachelor's, I really wanted to study uh, the ramifications of concussions in athletes, specifically uh, football players. And when I went or when I thought I would go to medical school. So that's what led me to go pursue a master's in research and experimental psychology. And so you did not end up pursuing med school and you kind no. of, you stayed in the <laughs> sports realm. Uh, so yeah. that's like a common thread. Um, what, what, what made that switch over to the analytics side? Yeah, you know, well, in graduate school, I had this friend who is now my wife and she and I would talk about, you know, what, what we're going to do after graduation. And you know, she knew me very well and could see that there was always a little bit of conflict in me when it came to medical school. So, I mean, there was kind of a theme, me kind of switching from pre-med to psychology and then not trying to enter medical school right away, but pursuing a research degree. And really this, the type of lifestyle that that would involve, you know, going to medical school, becoming a doctor and taking that path was maybe not the best decision for me. So really in talking to her, it forced me to think about, well, is this really what I want to do? 
right? I had to think about alternative options. Now, during my master's program, at the same time, my master's advisor, uh, his name is Dr. Sean Lairway at San Jose State University. He and I had begun designing my thesis project. And by trade, he's actually a behavioral psychologist. So he and I thought we could integrate our interests by studying sports fans. So my master's thesis ended up being an experiment on sport consumer behavior, specifically on uh, San Francisco Giants fans. And you know, while I was doing my thesis, uh, thesis projects usually involve you know, a great deal of literature review, looking at the past research. And that's really how I found sport management. That's how I realized that, hey, there's this field out there that does this kind of stuff. And I could potentially do that for a living. So I'm looking at all the scholarly literature, looking up and different academic programs, it all kind of clicked together. And I knew, you know, sport management was for me. And that ultimately led me to completing my PhD at the University of Michigan. So in terms of looking back at the psychology portion, do you think that that, I mean, it sounds like it kind of gave you a direct line into the programs you ended up looking at, uh, though that people might not think about that immediately. But I think that with when analytics is involved, you do that a lot of that is kind of understanding the human brain, if that's what you're looking at. Do you feel similarly? Do you think there are other skills that that psychology degree kind of led or handed over um, later on? Yeah, in a sense, for sure. I mean, especially during my master's program, studying specifically, you know, focusing on experimental psychology, that usually involves a lot of quantitative numerical data analysis. And I kind of already had a, a knack and real passion for numbers and data that, yeah, that the program itself really helped and prepared me for even a PhD program where, you know, I eventually ended up in sport management. And how, how long was that PhD program? So uh, they can range anywhere from, you know, standard four to five years and specifically the University of Michigan, uh, they require you to have a master's degree to apply. And so I guess it kind of, all worked out that way in me pursuing a master's. Uh, other schools also have this, some don't require a master's, but I actually finished my PhD in two years. Wow, that's really fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very motivated. Uh, if any of y'all have been to Michigan, it's a, it's a nice place, but uh, the winters are rough. And as for someone who grew up in California, I mean, definitely motivates you to work even harder when you're stuck in the snow and you can't go outside or you don't want to go outside because it's too cold. Yeah, for sure. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who's another native Californian just the other day and she's going to be moving to Boston and that'll be her first time not Ooh. living in the Pacific Northwest or I think uh, Arkansas is where she did Teach for America. And, and she's like, it's good. She's like, oh, I have a warm enough coat. And I go, well, does it go down close to your knees? Is it made out of down? You know, she's like, what if I get leather gloves? Don't know if those are going to be warm enough. So yeah, <laughs> it could definitely be a shock to the system. <laughs> it's rough, but it motivates you at the same time. And for me, it unfortunately motivated me to get out of there. <laughs> but but it, it all worked out. Yeah, sure. No, that's a, yeah, and then you ended up back here in the Bay Area. One thing I wondered was, maybe it was the weather, but... Uh, it was one factor for sure. 
I was going to ask which sports team drew you back the most. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh man, that's, that's tough. Uh, I grew up, you know, a Warriors fan when they were bad and now they're sort of also kind of bad. They're getting better, but I grew up a Warriors fan, Niners fan, uh, well, mostly an Oakland A's fan just because I got to go to more games. I mean, as a kid, the Giants games were a little bit too expensive. Uh, and, and a Sharks fan, of course. But really, I think it was the Warriors. I mean, they were having their mini run at the time. So it was it was kind of rough not being able to actually go to the games and experience the championship moments. And fortunately, I was able to come back and see a few uh, a few more championships. So that was nice. Yeah, that's good. You didn't totally miss out. They kept they kept the streak going for a little Just bit funny. longer. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, looking back at the the I suppose the work component, the studious component, whatever you'd like to call it, what has your research focus been since you completed your PhD? Yeah, so at the University of Michigan, uh, my doctoral advisor was Dr. Dehi Kwok, and he mainly studied sport consumer psychology and marketing. Uh, and during my PhD, I pretty much did that. I mean, my dissertation mostly studied how on-field athlete performance or, or and even off-the-field behavior could influence different aspects of sport consumer decisions, whether that be uh, selecting different types of products to purchase, uh, you know, actual purchase intent toward a team or a specific player's jersey, for instance. And I've continued down that path and I still merge my background in psychology with that focus in sports management as well. So I've continued to look at a lot of marketing issues in sports, like for instance, the Jersey sponsor patch program in the NBA. Um, but in terms of my recent research interests, they've mainly been in sports analytics. And I published a few studies on evaluating player and team performance in journals like the Journal of Sports Analytics, for example. And I'll actually be presenting a study on baseball that was led by one of my students, uh, Dylan Cole, uh, on the impact of altitude on visiting team performance. And at the same conference, I'll also be presenting another project that I completed with a, another colleague of mine at UC San Francisco on blowouts. So when the team basically destroys the other team in terms of, you know, scoring margins, you know, what happens at that next game performance? Are they affected, the winner? And also, how about the loser of that blowout game? Do they feel that kind of, uh, we're calling it a hockey hangover effect because we're studying it in that context. Uh, I've also looked at uh, societal issues in sports as well. And for instance, my mentors at SGSU, Dr. Sean Lairway and Dr. Susan Sinserski and I, they, we still work together on different projects. You know, we've published and presented different studies on uh, aggression and motivation to consume alcohol, in, particularly in sports fans. Uh, we've also looked at uh, perceptions of athletes uh, who use cannabis, for instance, for various reasons, whether that be uh, psychological, uh, med medically, or just recreationally, and how fans perceive that and how that could even trickle down to affect purchase intentions for sponsoring brands. Uh, and then at Menlo in particular, uh, Dr. Marianne Marar and I have been looking at societal trends in incarceration based on race and how those trends may uh, kind of be upheld as the status quo against different players when it comes to disciplinary action in the NFL in particular. And then currently we're also working on another proposal for 
a study examining how women are perceived as general man managers or, or leaders within Major League Baseball teams, uh, you know, given the recent hiring of Kimberly Ang uh, by the Miami Marlins. So that was a lot, probably. <laughs> that was so well. It was it was really cool though because I don't know. It made me think. Wow, some you can't you really can do a lot of research if that's your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can take your whole life up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but so many you cover so many issues just in being in you know technically this one field, right? And mm -hmm. but well, no, too. I mean, you could technically say sports management and um data analytics are separate but you can yeah together Emerging uh, too. right exactly and and so there's so much that you are able to delve into with those with that background and knowledge and pretty much everything that you were talking about to me sounds incredibly relevant to people kind of understanding how they interact with each other how they maneuver their business etc so that's, thank you for sharing all of that. It's super cool. Um, I hope Thanks, that other yeah. research loving people out there are thinking, wow. And then people who maybe aren't so research oriented, you know, at least it, I think provides kind of what the, the respect of what this kind of research can do um, for us yeah, on a practical. That's the cool thing about it. I mean, a lot of these research, you know, studies that I do are not only you know, scholarly important. They're personally important to me. So that makes it even more fun to do all these projects. Cause I, like I said before, I like being able to ask a question and then go collect some data to, to answer that question. So that that's what makes it fun. So for listeners out there who enjoy working with data, enjoy answering and asking different research questions, I mean, research can do that all for you and you can have a lot of fun doing it. Definitely. So it's kind of switching gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. Most people, when I ask them, staff and faculty on both sides, what is your favorite thing about working at Menlo College? The answer is always working with the students. So a more pointed question is what about the students makes them so fantastic to work with? Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate to teach at a couple different institutions before I came to Menlo. Uh, while I was in my PhD program, I taught at the University of Michigan and then I as you mentioned, I taught at San Jose State prior to that. And I mean, Menlo is definitely unique, not just because of its size, but I think just the students here understand that, you know, that level of community that Menlo offers. And it just makes things a lot more transparent between the student and faculty relationships. Like, for instance, you know, a simple example, like when I was an undergraduate student at larger universities, I'd be lucky if my professor knew my name. <laughs> but here at Menlo, you know, we've got that small school vibe and it's awesome. And I, I noticed that, you know, my students are a lot more comfortable sharing things with me about, you know, what's going on in their lives, especially during a time like this, you know, during a global pandemic. And, you know, you know, I just want my students to succeed in the classroom. And when they're willing to share those personal details, I, I do what I can to accommodate them, whatever it takes. So really, that best thing about the students at Menlo is that collegiality and just them understanding that community vibe that, hey, I'm here to help you as a faculty, as your professor. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree with that. That's the most important part of any kind of working relationship that you have with anyone is forming mm -hmm. that, that personal bond and to have that opportunity with so many different students is really special. 
So yeah. on top of working with students and doing your own research this year, you are also the chair of the faculty senate. And for, for the purpose of our, uh, our students and maybe non-higher ed listeners, tell us a little bit about what the faculty senate is and what have been some of your key ex uh, takeaways from this experience so far. Well, uh, I guess in short, uh, the faculty senate is really kind of the governing body of our faculty where we kind of lend our voice to the administration on different parts of their curriculum, for instance, or personnel decisions, among other things too. Like for instance, uh, during the pandemic, we had the, the grade change policy. So students could take, for instance, credit or no credit, right? The faculty senate will lend their voice to that. Uh, we present and even vote on a lot of different policies and procedures and we make recommendations on how the college should move forward on such things. So really the, the biggest takeaway is that uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of coordination, uh, you know, as the chair or as we call it, the president of the faculty Senate, my role is to be an advocate for faculty uh, as well as to organize our actual faculty Senate meetings, make sure things move along smoothly and you know, during the meetings, I really try to make sure that our thoughts and feedback as faculty on college business are heard. So I think it really just all comes down to shared governance within the college administration. Yeah, and I think that the point about advocacy is also really important and kind of making your voice heard, whether it's you know, things that are working well, things that need to be changed, et cetera. So it's good to have, I think, those kinds of organizing bodies within these institutions. And Menlo's pretty small, but still got to have yeah. that, the, those methods of communications. Um, so thank you. The last question that I'm going to ask is one we ask, we try to ask all of our guests. And that one time I forgot because we were having quite a, really great discussion, but, um, <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I got to make a point of actually writing this one down. But uh, so what is something that you're reading or listening to, or in your case, it could even be watching because, you know, <laughs> you know when you're, when you're doing research and you're reading things all the time, I know this is true for people who are in undergrad or grad school, what are you reading for pleasure? <laughs> so just right. something that uh, maybe, either you're getting a lot of joy out of or is encouraging your kind of process of lifelong learning in some way outside of your right. research or, or tangent to. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you what I'm trying to avoid. I mean, definitely the news these days. Sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just so depressing what's going on in the country, but I won't get into that much. Uh, in, in any case, in all seriousness, I actually read a lot of 538. Uh, which for listeners that don't know what that is, it's a data-driven political sports, economics and culture type site. So I, I read personally a lot of their sports columns and they, they have a lot of great pieces on player evaluation and they've created their own different metrics on how to evaluate players. Uh, I've, I've also been reading, you know, this is closer to my actual research, but I I just get a lot of joy reading articles from the Journal of Sports Analytics. So I read articles on stuff like strength of schedule in the NFL or rating systems in football, among other things. So I guess in terms of that kind of connects to 
what I'm doing now in terms of watching, like for, for instance, the NFL playoffs are going on right now. So I'm kind of slightly glued to the TV come Saturday and Sunday when the games are on um, much to the, to the dismay of my wife, but <laughs> it's, you know, I, I always say, Hey, whenever I watch a game, it's for research. And I, I say that jokingly, but in reality, sometimes I do get ideas for research projects while watching a game, like something may happen or stuff I see that is happening. I, I might wonder myself, Oh, well, I wonder what kinds of data they have on that. I, I, I would like to answer this question. Right. Um, in terms of non-sports related stuff, uh, I've been mostly getting into a lot of audiobooks. So when, whenever my wife and I walk our dogs, uh, we both listen to an audiobook, and I'm currently listening to The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. I, I think it's a, it's a great read or, or listen. And I particularly, particularly like that he integrates uh, a lot of psychological studies uh, to strengthen his points uh, for the different aspects of his books. And I, I think that's just a trend for Gladwell's other books as well, if any of you have read that. But I just recommend checking out his stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. Grand Provost Grand Lum made a recommendation when we had him on the podcast back over the summer for uh, Gladwell's most recent book, Talking to Strangers. And that was a phenomenal yeah. audiobook. So I'll put that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love listening to audiobooks too. And I am currently listening to a book called Unacceptable. And I'm blinking on what's after the, the colon, but it's about the oh. um, college scandal. Oh. Scandal. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Yeah, that's I'll I'll let you know how that is. For for nice. context for people who are listening, the we're having this conversation on January 13th, which may just be relevant in terms of uh in terms of what Sean said about not wanting to see the news. So <laughs> Yeah. But right. Right. yeah. And I agree with you though. I think that there are um, not relevance to the news and relevant to you were saying you were you look at 538 and in their sports column or you're watching t you're watching games and mm -hmm. and it's half a joke that you're doing it for research i think that that right. that's kind of the very cool thing about also things also the disciplines that can be more interdisciplinary is that you right. are able to pull from so many different uh modes your research so it could be you know you could be watching out for you oh, well maybe not but you might watch i don't know a a um a movie that's sports themed and it might make you th start thinking about something so that's the in yeah, my opinion the beauty of it <laughs> yeah it, it is for sure and it's not just research i mean i could watch a game something happens or something in the sports news happens or is reported i can bring that into the classroom as well which makes it fun to update your materials with what's actually going on out there because, you know, sports are such a public forum. A lot of spotlight is shed on, you know, the different personnel, whether they be players, coaches, you know, executive positions, it doesn't matter. It's just, you're on display. Right. So it makes it really powerful for students to be able to hear you know, what's going on now, as well as learning about what's gone on in the past and, seeing if you know the sports world learns from their mistakes which we hope they do but sometimes they don't <laughs> right <laughs> well 
Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time today to be with us on our podcast. It was great talking to you. Yeah, of course. That was really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Leverage Your Potential podcast. This podcast can be found on anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Please give us a rating or a like and let us know what you think.